Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for supernatural girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I am here with my two co-hosts, Patricia Kirkman, PK. Welcome this evening. And George Lugo, our very famous psychic medium. Welcome, you guys. How are you tonight? Fabulous. Excited about our show tonight. Oh, my God. I have been dying to get Captain Randy Kramer on the show, and finally, finally, he's going to be with us this evening, and we're going to keep our intro short because we know that Captain Kramer has a lot to share, and our audience wants to hear all of it. So, PK, let's start with you. What's going on with the numbers and this crazy virus that's running around the planet? What's happening? Well, firstly, it's the seven universal months, which tell you it's all about secrets. It's about a spiritual side. It's about lessons being learned. It's about teaching, all that fun stuff. But when we get down to the virus that everyone's going crazy about, there if you take a look at the COVID-19, the funny part is it totals a nine. Nine is universal. And if you break it down in other direction, it's a 36-9. So it's about communications coming, dealing with families or alternative medicines. So there's secretiveness that goes with this, scattered energies going on, things that deal with alternative health is definitely key to everything going on with this. But if you, just for the heck of it, I took a look at it, was told about this. Look on the back of a can of Lysol, disinfected spray. Now, they've said this human coronavirus has just hit. Well, it's put in our Lysol. It's been there. It's in different products that we've been using. Gee, now the yeah, question so is, what, really what are they really yeah. offering us? I hate to put it that way, offering, but I don't want to be the, I don't want to be the offering. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> when we take a look at it, it's just uh, very strange. But but by using their uh, shortcut name for it, the Corona 19, it becomes a nine, which means it's a universal issue. So none of us can escape it. It's out there. It's what we do for each other by being aware of keeping our hands clean, keeping our hands off of things that we know could pose a problem, keeping them off our faces, eye, ear, nose type thing, and do the best we can because we can't take care of everybody else, but we can take care of ourselves. And I see the handshake of the day now is going to be elbow bumps or toe touching. Uh, I think for a while we could give up on the other part just to make sure that everybody's safe and secure. But don't take chances, even though there's a lot of things going on out in the general atmosphere, how much of it's real, how much of it's 
really been ongoing, uh, shall we say, something that has been man-made in a way for other reasons, and or is this something that truly did accidentally take place? So that's right. my little tidbit tonight. How's that? Okay. Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot being said about this being a bioweapon that was purposefully released, uh-huh. and we don't have a, the whole story on that yet, but we do have our suspicions. So, George, what's your, yeah. what's your take it's, on they're all They're not going to tell us the story. They'd rather you know, keep so, it themselves and scare the hell out of us. Yeah, just kiss your butt goodbye. We're all going to die. No, I'm just kidding. It, it's uh, I just think it's uh, <laughs> I think it's like eighty. I think it's like eighty percent. You know, um, hype. You know, a lot of it. You know, because it's showing the same. If you watch the news, they show the same clips over and over and over. The oh, people true. being taken out in body bags and all that. I'm like, Jesus, just scaring the crap out of everybody. Well, you know, I, think only... I, I, was, I think that's the intent, is to scare the heck out of everybody. Yeah. You know, it being a virus. Look at all the things the that are thing... being canceled. Shows throughout right. the country yeah, are being canceled. Yeah. So yeah. It's but you can almost do that with any everyone. virus if you give of it enough hype. I just kind of feel that um, they're, um, um, you know, this would be already before you know it. I mean, the only thing, it's great for marketing because, man, go out and try to find yourself a, a, a hand sanitizer container. You can't find them anywhere. <laughs> People well, are buying everything. I understand some places are selling them for 100 to 200 bucks a bottle. Isn't that wonderful? But I talked no, with my uncle in California get last on. night, and mm-hmm. there are there's no toilet paper, no napkins or anything on the shelf. He lives in Venice Beach area. Now, yeah, California. The big run on toilet paper and napkins. Strange, isn't it? I saw a thing I on a, uh, this morning on a hand sanitizer, a bottle that went for 2700 You know, just a typical bottle you get off the shelf. If you get on eBay, you'll see it 3000 2000 you know, dollars for just one little container of it. It's ridiculous, <laughs> man. It, you know, it is. But, uh, alcohol will do the same thing to save you a lot of wear and tear. Yeah. You know, I was thinking you could probably have a half a bottle of hand sanitizer, probably get... 600 for it because, you know, supposedly if it does work, it would have killed whoever touched it before, so it's still good. So you can probably, you know, make a quick buck. No, anyway, <laughs> there you go. I, yeah. And now we're giving business <laughs> advice, okay. Yeah, <laughs> well, anyway. It's, um, it's already yeah. been touched by the water. I'm really not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. I just think it's, it's just a little bit. Yeah, but you much. have to leave the house, George, to be worried. Yeah, that's right. I don't have to leave the house. I'm good where that's I am. That's right. I'm, I'm dug that's in. Right. I don't have to leave so, either. Yeah, it was good too. We're all safe. Yeah. It, it works for me. Well, well look, let's let's get this show on the road here because we I have an yeah. incredible, incredible guest with us tonight that we are right. so grateful to have on the air because he's talking about all the things that we want to know about, and he's very forthcoming, and his name is Captain Randy Kramer. Now, he's an officer who actually has permission to address the public, and he's been given authorization to do this on behalf of a covert special section of the United States Marine Corps. Now, he's going to tell us about his 17-year tour of duty off-world on Mars and also the moon, and his years serving aboard a secret space fleet. Now, for any of you who may question his extraordinary story, Captain Kramer himself points out that it is a felony 
to impersonate an officer and to lie about military duty stations. The USMC has not disputed his story, nor have they stopped him from speaking out publicly about it, as he was appointed to this task by a brigadier general within the clandestine program. So, having said that, please welcome to the show Captain Randy Kramer. Thank you. Happy to be here. Oh, it's it's our Very pleasure. Very partial like, Marine Corps. I think it's great. <laughs> oh, this is incredible. Well, Captain Kramer, you have had an amazing life, and you continue to have an amazing life. All of this is something we are trying to understand is how you got chosen. How were you picked to be on this mission and to go off-world? How did it get started for you? Well, before I answer that question, I'm going to pivot back a couple of steps. So let me also add to anybody who's questioning my veracity. I was fortunate enough that uh, some folks arranged to get me a polygraph at the end of last year. So I have also taken a polygraph test, and I have found to be uh, telling the truth and being honest about my statements and claims that I'm making. And for anybody who thinks that polygraphs are no good, they are 98.5% effective statistically. Mm-hmm. So uh, I consider the fact that I have finally been able to take a polygraph, which if uh, for anyone who works in a uh, classified uh, program, either in the federal government or as a contractor where you have a top secret classification, you have to take an annual polygraph. So if it's considered to be good enough to make sure that the people who work for the government and work for defense contractors are not selling secrets, then it should be good enough for me to be able to say I've passed a polygraph affirming that everything that I'm saying is true. Excellent. Secondly, I'm going to pivot back to the coronavirus for a minute. You're not going to like me for what I'm going to say about this, but it's not just a scare tactic. It is a genuine virus. It's genetically engineered. Right. It is much more dangerous for people of, with Asian genetics than it is for people with other genetics. So, but that doesn't mean that you, know, you can't get it if you're not Asian. You certainly can. It's incredibly virulent. It is genetically engineered. And the, uh, the estimates that we've looked at show anywhere from uh, before it runs its course, which will probably be in the next couple of years, uh, it could kill anywhere from 1 million to 70 million people worldwide. Oh, wow. We're also seeing that it, has a, it also has a reinfection rate. So there are people who've been infected with the virus, have uh, gone through the first uh, two-week cycle, only to mm-hmm. get reinfected later. Um, it's mostly what you really have to be concerned about is your own immune system. People who have mm-hmm. strong immune systems, you, if you catch it, you know, you'll have it. You'll get sick for a couple of weeks. It'll suck, but you'll get better. It'll, it, it's not like the flu, but in the sense that it's two weeks of misery that you recover from, um, that's just where it's at. So having a good immune system, not, you know, having a two-liter soda in one hand and a cigarette in the other will really help if, for those of you who really want to know. Um, we're also, unfortunately seeing what is probably going to be two more viruses that will pop up later this year. One's going to come out of Africa and another one's going to come out of Brazil. So this is really the first pandemic of three that we're going to see this year. And probably there will be a lot of fatalities. They're also cooking down the numbers. So whatever they tell you are the infection rates and the fatality rates on the news is actually 
probably higher than that by a factor of between 10 and 100. Wow. So in some ways it's worse than what you think, but at the same time it's really worse for people who are just not being healthy. Uh, people who are eating healthy, taking care of themselves, you know, focused on their immune systems, those people are predominantly going to be okay. It's the people who are really just not taking their health uh, seriously or very well at the moment who are the ones who are more likely to uh, get fatalities from it. So what does it mean to take down the, yeah, is it to reduce the surface numbers? Um. It's a, it was engineered to um, so China has a overpopulation problem. If you ask the Chinese government, well, they don't necessarily tell it this way, but they have an overpopulation problem. They know mm-hmm. that they have an overpopulation problem, and it was designed to call their own population. And it appears as if it got out early. So the mm-hmm. um, the release of the virus appears to not have been intentional, that there was an accident uh, that caused it to be released out into the community. And then once it was out, they were like, oh, crap, what do we do? And they tried to shut it down and contain it very quickly. But it kind of is a case of someone making something that they thought they might use at a future date, but it got out and it's happening now. Hmm. That's what I've seen a few different resources. That's really important know it really is and especially what you just shared about two other viruses coming down the pike it, it's very very important to be aware of yeah they're all genetically targeted they're all genetically targeted so the first yeah. virus that we're seeing the coronavirus is genetically targeted predominantly to affect people who are asians the next viruses we're already seeing it starting to uh, have outbreaks in africa but it has a longer incubation period and it's not getting into the news right now but you probably could search the news feeds on the internet and find some stories about, you know, viruses spreading in Africa. That's probably it. And then there's another one that's going to be coming out of Brazil, which again is also genetically targeted towards uh, mostly Latinos and uh, North and South Americans, Indian natives. So it's, it's going to, it's going to affect everybody, but it's, they're genetically targeted for some, minority racial groups because the people who are engineering them are racists. Let's just be honest about that. Oh, wait. That's what I wondered. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Captain Kramer, thank you for sharing that because that is, again, extremely important information because you're on the inside and you know what's going on. We're taking guesses. So it's very much appreciated that you just shared what you did. We still like you. <laughs> oh, yeah. thank you. Well, it's not my fault. I didn't engineer it, so uh, right, I can take no responsibility that. for it existing. But luckily, I do have access to information that I can share what's going on. Uh, and another interesting thing about uh, hand sanitizer, it's an airborne virus. So it's mm-hmm. not necessarily, you know, I mean, washing your hands is good and because that's one of the primary ways that we pick up colds and flus. 
but you could just as easily get it by breathing from someone who walks past you on the street and exhaled sure. right before you inhale. So yeah. mm-hmm. we're going to probably see some quarantine. We're going to see what we're already seeing in other parts of the world where sporting events, uh, you know, civic events are, are being, you know, postponed and cut down. There's already uh-huh. a couple of uh, colleges that are basically postponing uh, games, uh, sporting events because they don't want the virus to spread so it's it's gonna and it is gonna scare people and certainly the media you know makes part of its money by being more scary than you know things really are but they but the the institutions that are supposed to be telling us what the actual numbers are are cooking them down and not telling people what the real numbers are because they they don't want a full-fledged panic they they really don't so they want people to be scared yes do they want a full-fledged Panic? No. So they're trying to shoot for some sweet spot of having people be scared, but not totally in a panic where people are running into the stores and beating people with clubs to get, you know, gloves and masks and hand sanitizer. How long do you think this is going to take for this Uh, I'd say it's going to take at least the next couple of years to run its course. It's going to stick around for a while. It's going to stick around. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. It doesn't oh feel like something's going to be cleaned up right away. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So thank you. And thank again, you and, and again, it's the reinf- it's the reinfection process is why one of the reasons why it's going to stick around. Once you get it, you're not necessarily going to be immune to it. You will totally be susceptible still to be reinfected. So people oh. who get it once can get it twice, three times, four times. Are they still like just going to have to run its course. I'm if sorry. Say again. Gets, are they still like a carrier? Once they get it. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Someone gets it and thinks that they've run through its course. They've had their two week period. They could still be a carrier. Absolutely. Uh, because of the dorm, because of the redormancy. Mm-hmm. Mm. Gosh, that doesn't, how the world has changed. Really, oh, it certainly has. Maybe yeah, we better well, go to some of those places you've been, Captain Randy. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's, even worse viruses and bacterial infections in space too, you know, I mean, (laughs) we're not the only Petri dish in the universe that can make people sick. (laughs) Yeah. We were hoping we were, we'd be safe if we went to Mars with you. Well, so let's get back to the question of how you got involved with this. I mean, this Mm -hmm. is quite the mystery of how this came into your life. Oh, not at all. I have been very clear about this. Uh, I was genetically engineered from the ground up in a program that was designing engineering soldiers from a, in a program that was like what I often say is the Petri dish level. So genetics from my mother, genetics from my father were taken. Uh, They were put together into a fertilized cell. They plucked out the codons that they wanted to add uh, ET DNA into to hybridize the DNA strain and then rolled that back up into the cell and stuck that in my mom and then I was born nine months later. But I'm genetically engineered from the ground up. Now, did your parents give permission for that? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Okay. Did they treat you differently as you were growing up because of this? I'm sorry, I didn't get that question. I said, did they treat you differently as you were growing up because of the genetic engineering? Um, no one really in my family knew. Um, oh. And I certainly was different as I was growing up. I noticed that I was different. I was definitely smarter than my peers. I seemed to have an awareness that most of my peers didn't. And I had some 
skills, uh, physical strength and agility and coordination that my peers didn't have. But I, I basically got treated, you know, like everyone else. I got made fun of like everyone else. And I got patted on the back when I scored a touchdown like everybody else. And, you know, so I, I, I lived a pretty normal upbringing. And then with the exception of the training. Is that when it all changed? Well, that was when I was deployed. So the training program is actually taking place throughout my childhood. Um, and then by the time I'm 17 years old, that was when deployment happened. So I was sent off and deployed at age 17. And when you say sent off, you were sent off to where? Uh, first trip was, so anyone who's ever joined the military uh, yep. knows that there is a process. And the first thing they do is they send you to an induction center. And the induction center, you get a physical, you get a psyche valve, you sign some paperwork, and then they put you on a bus or a plane that takes you to your duty station. So that is basically what happened. The only difference there is the induction center was on the moon, on the backside of the moon at Luna Operations Command. And I got a physical, got a psyche valve, signed my contract. And then instead of getting put on a bus, we got put on a pretty good sized transport ship that I only guesstimate uh, could hold somewhere between four and 5,000 passengers. And then that ship took off from the landing bay at Luna Operations Command and then took a jump gate or a wormhole to Mars orbit and then landed on the tarmac a few minutes later. Were you now, how surprised many people by were, any of this? I mean, did you, when you looked around and saw where you were, I mean, was this a shock to you or you just expected it? Or how did you absorb all this? This is a big, big oh, deal. Oh, I, I, I was trained to be ready for this. I, we were trained in exotic environments. Uh, we were trained to... Uh, engage in combat with exotic targets in exotic environments. And when I say exotic targets in exotic environments, that pretty much means alien world type environments, simulated environments and alien life, either simulated or genetically engineered. So at some point I was completely prepared for this and I had no idea where I was going. And I was a little surprised when we got to Mars, I was like, Mars, really? Okay. But I was <laughs> otherwise completely prepared uh, for this process and I was not shocked or surprised at all. Were there quite a few people doing what you were doing? I'm sorry, can you repeat that, please? Were there quite a few people that were involved doing the same thing you were, the same type, we'll say boot camp, et cetera? Um, the program that I was trained under was a program that had 300 subjects, so which was called Project Moonshot. So the training process that I went through was either with – all 300 personnel or in some cases broken down into, you know, smaller subgroups for training. And then when, like, again, when it was deployed, we went to the induction center. There was, that's just where a lot of different people from all over the place are get, going through the induction process and being sent off to wherever they're being sent off to. Um, and then those of us who got put on the transport ship to go to Mars, went to Mars, landed on the tarmac there, then there's a, again, anyone who's ever been through this process, you get a packet. So I'm holding on to my packet. And as we're going through the line, uh, once we disembark off the transport ship, everyone's getting their packet scanned. And then there's a subdermal implant behind the ear. I got one behind each ear. And so they scan the packet, scan behind your ear to make sure that the packet matches with the person carrying the packet. And then that also has, they have a little reader that then tells them where you're going. And so in my case, uh, basically someone pointed, you know, pad 19, and I followed a little yellow line to a 
smaller vehicle that was about the size of a school bus that was a uh, atomic powered uh, thruster anti-gravity vehicle. So it hovered off the ground. It was pretty noisy. It shook quite a bit. And then we flew across the Martian landscape for about an hour and a half, maybe almost two hours until we got to the station where I was going to be living for the next 17 years, which was called Forward Station Zebra. Mm-hmm. And now you saw amazing. some amazing things on Mars, including two alien races that that lived there. Tell us about that when you encountered yeah. them. Sure. So mostly what we did uh, at this forward station was what we were told was to protect a territorial line between the colonies that were behind that line and the a front of that line ahead of us in which two other indigenous species lived in which we often had uh, physical skirmishes with. One was an indigenous reptoid species. Another was an indigenous insectoid species. And we basically just, you know, engaged in combat operations with them, depending on who was moving where, who was coming into our territory, when we would go out on patrols and get into their territory. Um, it was, you know, a couple, few times a week, probably, we'd have a combat event. So it was very busy uh, for a war situation. And so they obviously didn't want us there. They didn't want colonies. Not exactly. That's, that's, an, that's an assumption, and it's not exactly true. Um, it was really more about territory. We, we were up against each other's territory, and when you're up against each other's territory, people cross the lines, and then when you cross a line, someone attacks and says, hey, don't cross that line. And when someone would cross our line, we'd attack them and say, hey, don't cross that line. And so territorial dispute isn't really about they want you there or don't want you there. It's more like, you're in my neighborhood, I'm in your neighborhood, and we're disagreeing on where the line on which side who should be on. And as we disagree on who should be on which side of the line, we have various physical skirmishes to argue that point. That's a good explanation. Now, does that line ever get, does that line ever get pushed further, you know, to the point where it stays, or is it always the same line? Oh, I would say that, that was, it was a flexible line in the sense that where we wanted it to be was static, but that was not necessarily where the line was all the time, just okay. because we wanted it there. Right. When so you that saw was your the... job, defending the line? I'm sorry, there were two people talking at once there. Uh, I said, was that your job, defending the line? Absolutely. Yeah, defending the territorial line and defending the station itself. I see. Wow. When you saw the, all the people indigenous involved with the uh, aliens. Go ahead. Okay, one, one question at a time, yeah, please. When you, saw, <laughs> when you saw these indigenous aliens uh, for the first time, how did you feel? Mm-hmm. I mean, were you shocked by the way they looked, or were you all prepared for this is how they were going to look? Well, again, we were already conditioned to be prepared for exotic environments. And we also had a simulator, which um, there's a, I don't, I don't know what to call it, except it's kind of a goofy headpiece that you have to wear. And when I say goofy, it's, it's not an attractive look. Like if you were to look at yourself in their mirror, you'd be like, oh my God, I look ridiculous. <laughs> um, and there's uh, sort of two oven mitts that you wear that have wires attached to them so that your kinesthetic memory and muscle memory is being trained during the simulation. And the simulations are 
you know, completely realistic. It's like um, going into the matrix. You know, you're in a computer simulation that seems completely real to the parts of your brain that are being told what to see, hear, smell, feel, taste. Now, the indigenous reptoids that were in the simulation were not real. They were not alive. Uh, they were not, you know, did not have real living energy to them. And I think that the, sim the people who wrote the program for the simulation wanted to make them seem less threatening and less scary than they were in real life. When I saw them the first time in real life, it was different. It was like, oh, they're looking back and they look kind of fierce and scary and I'm a little more intimidated than I was in the simulation. So right. while we were prepared for it and had seen what they looked like, it was a representation of what they looked like and what they were, not the real thing. And so when we finally faced the real thing, it was, you know, as we say, there's a difference between on paper and in real life. That was that. It was like, well, this is the simulation is what's on paper. And then once you're in real life, it's like, oh, this is how it really is. Okay. <laughs> so it was a little unnerving, but um, they gave us a, a drug cocktail, a performance cocktail that takes away fear and whoops up your aggression uh, and so once the drug cocktail kicked in, I didn't care, stormed down the hill and, you know, kicked somebody in the face. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. so needy like which that. I, which I have said, but I, I feel kind of bad that my first interaction with an actual extraterrestrial species was to jump up and kick it in the face. I felt really bad about that later on. Oh. oh. I mean, what a, what a way to greet somebody, right? Like with a yeah. boot to the face. <laughs> Now, How did you with this as well? Oh, it was a it was a pretty fierce little skirmish. You know, it was um there was a lot of yelling and screaming and scratching and bleeding. So it was you know it was what it was. And they had weapons, and you had weapons, yes. Absolutely, we had body armor and projectile weapons with a bayonet on the front and a handheld uh, person called the personal utility tool or putter. Um, and they favored hand-to-hand -hand weapons. So oh. they had, and, and this is a very difficult thing because I'm not an artist. I've never been able to, like, draw a picture accurately of what these would look like. So if I say they were holding sword-like weapons or spear-like weapons, that's mm -hmm. about as much as I can say they're like that but not that. And if I could somehow recreate the representation artistically that what they look like, if my brain could – if my hand could do what my brain sees and I could draw a picture of it, then I could represent that. But art was never my thing. So all I can say is they preferred hand-to-hand -hand weapons that were savage in nature and appearance. Oh, my. Sounds scary. Now, how, were scary, there women scary. involved with this as well? Uh, yes. The combat forces are about three-quarters or two-thirds uh, male to about a third or one quarter female. And how did the they fare with the situation? So the females were fighting side by side with you. Absolutely, we had female members in my squad. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, I'm impressed. I can't imagine. Oh, yeah. there are some. Those are some of the fiercest women you've ever met. Let me tell you. <laughs> uh, evidently, bet. not a good date. Huh? <laughs> They'd have to be to do something like this. Whew. What My about goodness. fatalities on our side? Was it a lot of fatalities? Yeah. or? 
Well, we had technology that could basically repair just about any and all cellular damage. So we would often get injuries, um, but fatalities were rare. So, I mean, they happened. People, people would die, but not nearly to the rates that people were injured. So, I mean, I'd been injured, you know, nearly 2,000 times, uh, and wow. I, but, I, but I never died for real, real. But there were a number of times where my experience was partial death, meaning I crossed over. I, I was in this other space where I would experience an, an amalgam of, like, parks that I visited as a child, and there would be a, a bench and a pond, and I would sit on the bench, and then there were three of my spiritual advisors who would meet me on the bench, and then we would talk about what happened. And then at some point they would say, well, are you done? Do you want to move, go out of the park that way, or do you want to go back the way you came in? I would always say, no, no, I'm not done. i got to go back. And I would go back out the park the way I came in and then end up back in my body at some point. So in that sense, I had experienced the death process, but not – permanently i can't you know they and they have a way to pull you back into your body so it, it could also be possible that someone goes into that process and says oh i'm out of here and they're like no we're pulling you back into your body and you're coming back whether you like it or not mm-hmm. but i never I, I never had any other idea in my head other than no no i'm not done i have to go back what about mm-hmm. pain how much pain would you have when you're involved in those battles oh horrible Horrible pain. I mean, I've had arms, legs, hands, eyeballs ripped out. Oh, goodness. I mean, I, I have experienced more pain than most single human beings on Earth have ever experienced. Incredible. And, and you were saying... It's a lot of trauma. Pain. It was a lot of trauma. It was, it was yeah. a lengthy healing and recovery process from all that trauma. Um, because you, know, you were decades. talking about the machine and in another interview that I was listening to, and you were mm-hmm. saying that it, it doesn't take care of that. It only takes care of the physical. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the trauma is, is energetic to your energy body, and it doesn't fix that. So, yeah. Wow. That's that good. <laughs> well, it, it has its pluses and its minuses. Uh, we could have a long conversation about that, and I, I don't know that we need to do that right now, but it has its pluses and its minuses. I, I – while it was an incredibly difficult, horrible thing to go through, I am a better, stronger person for it. So it's, you know, there's oh, give and take good. there. Good that you found the silver lining. Now, what were the colonists up to? Because you were there also not just to keep the line but to keep them safe. What were they doing? No idea. We were never allowed uh, to go to the colonies. So it was just something wow. behind us that that existed behind us. We were never allowed to visit. We were never allowed to set foot in the colonies. No kidding. Oh, my goodness. Now, I have heard, I've heard people who have been there tell me stories about what's going on in the colonies since I have returned and started talking publicly. So I, I have a better idea of what's been going on at the colonies and what's happening there or what was happening there. But at the time, no idea. Absolutely no idea. We were never allowed. Can you share some of what they were doing? Um, what colonies do, uh, trying to figure out how to grow food, make food, make industrial production to be profitable, because colonies that can't be profitable uh, cost too much money. And people who start colonies start colonies to make profits. So they were 
not unlike the first American colonies or colonies in India or anywhere else. It was, you know, establish a foothold, establish a stronghold, establish uh, civic law, establish uh, technology, establish civilization, establish food production, both agricultural and farming, and try and make it as self-sufficient as possible. Makes sense that that's what they'd be Mm -hmm. doing. And there were five colonies, right? Um, my understanding is that there were six or seven. I don't know that there are that many now. There's been a lot of changes, but my understanding there were at least six or seven at the time. Mm-hmm. When was the last, time, was the you last were time you were there? Oh, I haven't been there in a really long time. Um, let's see. That would be, let's see, five, five, 2005. Mm-hmm. So it's been a few About years. 15 years ago. Yep. Yeah. Mhm. Any desire to go Which, back? Yes and no. Um I, I I know some Vietnam vets who went back to Vietnam and it was a pretty big closure moment for them, so there's a part of me that wants to go back for my own closure and another part of me that has no desire to ever set foot on that planet ever again. So it's <laughs> I'm a little torn. Yeah. Well that makes um, sense. This is such an amazing adventure. And now, were you allowed to have fun at any time or everything? I mean, you're a super soldier. So were you always on for that and nothing else could come into your mind? Um, Most of our day was training, 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 more training, and then sometimes patrols, 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 and then the skirmish, you know, two or three times a week. We did have downtime. Uh, we were we did have some recreational time, so sometimes the simulators were usable for recreation. So while I was stuck on a desert planet that was nothing like Earth, the simulator I could you know in simulator time I could take a walk on the beach and feel like I was home again for at least a little while. Uh, we mm-hmm. also had a really crappy lending library which was like mostly just stacks and stacks of paperback books, like really crappy uh, fiction from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Like, like, if you, like if you were stuck in a hospital and you just had nothing but a bunch of crappy paper books to read, it was kind of like yeah. that. But I ended up reading through a bunch of yeah. them. So. <laughs> oh, God. What color is the sky on Mars? It's blue most of the time. It is. Yeah, it's absolutely blue most of the time. The, the pictures that they send back have, uh, with the sky being red, they're using a red filter. Oh, for wow. heaven's sakes. Yep. And what about the Because they want it to look scary and foreboding. Yeah, like life couldn't <laughs> work there. <laughs> right. Uh, oh, about, yeah. Which, you had I'm sorry, go ahead. there? Uh, yeah, there were. There were some pretty fierce windstorms. The windstorms could, you know, blow over 100 miles an hour. So, oh, yeah, fierce windstorms. Gosh. Okay, so going back to the the wildlife there, you have wildlife, you have two indigenous races, and some of the wildlife was pretty intimidating too, right? Well, where we were at, which is a very far northern region, I don't know that I could pick it out on a map, but I the closest thing I can describe is 
it was like being in Alaska. I mean, it was, it was pretty far north. It wasn't all the way to the pole or to the Arctic region, but it wasn't, you know, down south near the equator or the warmer areas either. It was very far up on the uh, longitudinal lines. So it was very cold. So most of the animal life that we saw up there was very small, small little birds, small little lizards. Um, but there were places where there was some, I mean, there were some caves that you could end up in where you could end up running into these very large sort of albino cave spiders that were, uh, I want to say, you know, maybe three and a half, four feet in diameter. I mean, they're pretty oh. big. They they were not fun. So, yeah, some of the indigenous life was big and hostile and could hurt you if, you know, you got overwhelmed or trapped by them. What about plants and things like that? Really different yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are grasses, trees, shrubs, but, again, in the region where we were at, most of them were fairly small. I do have some satellite images taken by uh, JPL satellites that show pretty big trees that look like pine trees, fir trees, and some pretty big animals, biological life next to them, which uh, people have indicated to me could be there be large reptiles like dinosaur style reptiles or possibly uh, mammals like elephant sized mammals. Mm-hmm. What about bodies of water? Uh, I wouldn't say like bodies of water, streams, um, uh, some ponds, small, small lakes, uh, depend on what time of year it was. So the colder it was, the less water there was, but there was a spring thaw in which, so the streams and the tributaries would start to trickle more and these sort of, um, you know, basins would fill up a little bit, not when they necessarily fill up and maybe get half full with water. So the water definitely goes, it's a very dry place. So the water goes up and down uh, throughout the year. Again, where we were that far north. Mm. What about your body armor? Does that have all kinds of things on it that you have to know every little bit of it? You know, your armor? No, not at all. All we knew, all we needed to know was how to operate while wearing it. Uh, there was repair technicians who did all of the repairs and maintenance, and we didn't have to know anything about how that would work. We basically would put the body armor back into a locker when we come back and, and take everything off. And the locker was like a little dumb waiter and it would drop down to a lower level. And there were repair techs who would repair everything and it would come back up shiny and new the next day. Wow. That's very efficient. I can use one of those. I know, me too. <laughs> um, going back to the two uh, indigenous uh, life forms, the uh, reptiles, reptile type and the insectoids, did they get along with each other? Um, they also engaged in territorial skirmishes. So I, I wouldn't say that, again, they didn't get along. They just had disputes over where the territorial lines were. Okay, well, that makes sense. Sounds like everybody was protecting their territory. But then at the, at the end, towards the end of your 17 years, you were all ordered to do a very strange thing, to go and get an artifact, which was definitely an off-limits situation. Can you tell us about yes. that? What the heck happened? Well, I so I, I 
go into some detail about that in my book, which is done, but not published yet. I am in the negotiation process with publishers to get it out so that people can read it. So in, it's sort of um, a complex story for me to explain how we ended up there, what, what was happening there. And it also gives away um, part of the story that is oh, well, don't do that. save it to be don't a surprise from people fine. read it. But I will say this. I will say this. Yes, you're correct that it was not exactly where we were supposed to be. Uh, there was a reason for it. And I will save that for people so they can be surprised when they get to that chapter in the book. Yeah, because it's an, an, just an outstanding story from what I've heard of it so far. So. We'll all just have to sit tight. Yeah, until that Battle of the Blender. Uh, it, it has been named the Battle of the Blender because when the indigenous reptiles, who are a different tribe than the one that we had uh, spent some time with, um, when they came in and swarmed the area, it was they just came in in a large counterclockwise circle. There were thousands of them, again, with these large curved like scimitar swords and just started cutting people to ribbons. So it was literally like being inside a blender. So That's battle horrible. of the blender. Most most people died. It was horrible, terrible, terrible. Oh, oh my goodness. That is terrible. Oh, my goodness. Did well, you ever I can't spend wait time to on read the moon? This. I'm sorry, did say again? Spend time, did you ever spend time on the moon? Oh, sure. I mean, as a transition point, mostly. So Luna oh, okay. Operations Command is on the backside, and anytime you got to go back and forth between either deployment or coming back is pretty much when you go to the moon. When I got to go to flight school uh, after my tour of duty on Mars, I got a promotion, got a commission, got to go to flight school. Uh, part of flight school was back on the moon near Luna Operations Command. Hmm. Okay. So we're going to take a very short commercial break right here, and then when we come back, Captain Kramer, I want to know, and I know our audience wants to know this too because I'm getting text messages about this, um, how come you're allowed to talk about this? And I know that's a big subject. So when we come back, we're going to find out the answer. So everybody, stay tuned. We're going to take a short commercial break. You are listening to Supernatural Girls Radio. We'll be right back. Pure essential oils, specialized minerals, and a revolutionary anti-aging technology. Astridian combines the best of all scientifically proven ingredients in easy-to-use creams, lotions, and concentrated serums. Astridian's advanced line of products take your skin to a new level of being healthy and beautiful. We offer a variety of collections that address all your skin concerns. The Essential Anti-Aging Series treats and moisturizes your skin for a long-lasting, younger look. The Multivitamin Series promotes healthy skin with high-quality vitamins and minerals. The Sports Series restores skin from cellular damage and stress. Astridian also offers a revitalizing solution for hair and a professional series for doctors and medical spas. Visit astridian.love today and begin your new journey to healthy, beautiful, youthful skin. Astridian, beyond your expectations. There are a lot of psychics out there. How do you decide which one is right for you? 
you look for someone who empowers you, who's practical and spiritually connected, who says, here are your opportunities, here are your challenges, and here's a way to deal with them, and then gives you your own toolbox to make your life everything you want it to be. Hi, I'm Corby Mitleid, and that's how I work with you. As a certified professional tarot reader, I've helped thousands of people for over 40 years through my toolbox. Cards, past life retrieval, numerology, spirit guide conferences, and mediumship. Whether it's career, relationships, finances, or your spiritual road, together we can replace your confusion with clarity. And you'll probably find a little laughter along the way. Visit me at CorbyMitlide.com to find out how to cross your bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. And tell me you found me at Supernatural Girls for a special gift with your reading. Corby Mitlide, the practical psychic for catching your tomorrows today. Find me at CorbyMitlide.com. That's CorbyMitlide.com. Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get Attorney Pat Quintilian's book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Are you ready for a new experience of freedom and powerful connection? Would you like a positive, effortless change in your life? Then come to CosmicFusion.com, where we offer the most advanced energy clearing and expansion techniques in the world with a quantum vortex energy to activate your divine blueprint and life's purpose. When your soul leads the way with cosmic fusion and quantum vortex energy, you can break clear of past difficulties and blocks with the power of the source. With Cosmic Fusion, the source energy does the work for you. It's easy and effortless. Listen to our free meditation right from our Cosmic Fusion website, the Cosmic Code Meditation. Sign up for one of our interactive webinars today. Come to Cosmic Fusion, www.kosmicfusion.com to experience an effortless awakening and transformation. Are you ready for an upgrade? Are you ready for a new experience of living in the fifth dimensional magic and powerful connection? Then visit CosmicFusion.com today. CosmicFusion.com Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I am here with my co-host, Patricia Kirkman, PK, and George Lugo, and our amazing guest tonight. We are Simply Spellbound. Captain Randy Kramer is here with us tonight, and we're hearing the true story about Mars and the moon. And, Captain Kramer, we want to know, how do you get to talk about this without somebody giving you a hard time? I mean, it's like, who gets to talk about this? And why have they chosen you? So, a uh 
a little over eight years ago, my Brigadier General came to me and asked me if I wanted to go public with my story, to which my answer was expletive no. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, don't, I have no desire to be that guy. I don't want to do that. I can't be careful there. Although I'd literally, I normally would drop the F-bomb right out of the door, but mm. I'm trying to be nice there to your um, <clears throat> audience and, and if you have to any follow any guidelines there but I, I was not I was furious to be honest with you and I was not okay with that but he talked about it and he gave me some reasons why I should want to consider to say yes and after some deliberation I said well okay I guess and that could be all right so that really didn't decide the process that put me on a short list with about 23 officers and there was a criteria of going through that list uh, to get down to basically a final three. And then when it came down to the final three, I ended up getting the pick and then he came back and said, okay, job's yours. And so I was requested by the command staff of United States Marine Corps special section to be their public relations officer. So people often erroneously claim that I am a whistleblower. I am not a whistleblower. I am not doing this against the will of my superiors. I am doing it with their full legal endorsement. So that's the other reason why I can do this. And people who don't like me don't really dare come after me in any serious way, because if they do, they will have the full might of United States Marine Corps special section coming down their neck. Yikes. So you have total authority to talk about this, but why, why do they want you to talk about this? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but basically it was determined that secrecy was more dangerous than telling the truth. And that at some point we had to get information out there and get beyond the sort of glass ceiling of disclosure and that it had to be a effort to get the truth out there because again, secrecy was just more dangerous than knowledge. And so we decided that I would just tell people my stories and answer questions and try and give people as much information as possible so we could get out of the dark ages with this crap. Wow. And, again, what do they hope to accomplish? With Is it to get us familiar with this is real, that UFOs are real, that uh, people li- do live on Mars, there's alien races that live there? Is this to get us used to this whole concept? Oh, yeah, it's it's what we sort of call a, a social psychological massage. So, you know, we're kind of massaging the social psychology of people so that they can become more acclimated to things when, when things do happen, and they will happen. Uh, some of them could be quite shocking to people. And if you sort of had the social psychological brain massage, then it will be less shocking. Makes sense. And well, so makes- is this all part of the soft disclosure that we've been seeing over the last few years? Yes, I would say that's a safe yes. Mhm. Okay. So, so we're going to have aliens here amongst us that look the way they do, the way you've seen them, amongst us here, eventually. Yes. Don't we already? That is. Well, some. I mean, there's already some here that look human enough that right. you wouldn't be able to tell the difference if you didn't know what you were looking for. It is also a common practice to teleoperate in a biological drone. So there are aliens who look completely different than anything we've ever seen, but they're essentially teleoperating a drone that is in a 
a meat suit of a human being so that you can't tell the difference. Mm. Hmm. I have a question for you. Oh, go ahead. And this is a little bit off topic, but it, it is included in the whole UFO experience and field. This thing with men in black, there's been so many stories about them, and nobody seems to know what they are. Do you know what they are? Well, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting subject. So there have been some cases of a extraterrestrial species who visited, who appeared to be guys in black suits and black hats driving around in black cars. That was a thing, but not much of a thing for very long. But because it caught on in the lexicon of the community, the intelligence community decided, oh, let's get on that bandwagon and let's get some guys and put them in black suits and black hats and black cars and have our own men in black. So it's a little confusing in that sense. Yeah, because I know people have described them as they, they don't even look really human. They've got this pasty look. No hair, eyebrows painted on, old-fashioned clothing, old-fashioned cars. And it's right. very difficult to understand what that's all about. Um, if you cloak something in mystery that's not the real thing that you want people to not see, then that becomes the thing that they see. So it's kind of a distraction that gets mm-hmm. people to go like, like an illusionist, a stage magician has a way of getting you to look not where the action is happening, where, where the trick is actually happening. So I would say that the use of these sort of um, fake men in black is a military intelligence operation to be sort of look over here, not over there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit, right. it's a bit of a stage yeah. illusion distraction kind of a thing. Yeah, sleight of hand. Sleight of hand. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Um, and again, it, it keeps people focused on something that isn't the thing that they want people to not be focused on for real. So it's it's mm-hmm. something to be focused on that's not what they don't really want you to pay attention to at all. If, if I said that right, that's a lot of confusing linguistics there. <laughs> We're confused too, so it's okay. Um, when it comes to this disclosure issue, we've talked about this a lot on the show with many different people, and we've heard that there have been some very public uh, UFO landings in South America, and at that time there were many journalists who witnessed it, two to three hundred at one time. And then we heard the United States government went in, or some government went in from here and said, you can't reveal this, and if you do, we'll withdraw our aid. So there was a lot of pressure uh, not to talk about it. But now our government is doling out little pieces at a time about this. And our question to you is, why now? Are, is our government getting pressure from China and Russia or one of the superpowers here saying, if you don't talk about it, we will, and then you'll have egg on your face? Or is this coming? Is there pressure coming from the ETs saying it's time? Or is it something else? It it comes down to something a little more basic and fundamental than that, which is readiness. And in order to be ready, it isn't about whether the military is ready. It isn't about whether the intelligence community is ready. It's not about whether the elected government officials are ready. It's not about whether the corporations needed to be involved are ready. It's about 
everybody being ready and on the same page. So we haven't been in a state of readiness where we can feel that we can safely go from, you know, pre-disclosure to post-disclosure without there being a big mess uh, in the process. So it's really about making sure that everybody who needs to be playing their part is ready. Okay. And do you, do you know when that's going to happen? Have they told you, given you a date or a time frame? So for a very long time, I have been a person who is against time frames because we, everyone always says this time frame, that time frame, and it pretty much never turns out to be what people say it is. So for a very, very long time, I have insisted on it being evasive on timelines until earlier this year and my brigadier general actually said, no, no, no I want you to give a timeline. I want you oh. to tell people six to 18 months. So I'm telling you what my brigadier says, which is six to 18 months. And that's coming soon. So, you know, a lot of people are talking about who's going to reveal this. Is this something I know they've attributed it to uh, a president's role to reveal this, but maybe it won't be. Who's going to reveal this? Um, Let's let me suggest that. Probably a extraterrestrial species will be the ones who actually make the big reveal as they are playing their part to do so. Hmm. That'll be exciting. Could be very exciting, yes. Could be. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah, it's a me neither. Live. <laughs> I think so. Um it, there there will be some chaos just because of what's happening in the world and what's going to continue to be happening in the world. And that will just add to the chaos of what's happening in the world. But, you know, there will be some dust settling moment after that when we just get to have kind of a post disclosure clarity about where we are in the universe and what's happening around us. And we can stop pretending uh, all, all of the people sticking their fingers in their ears in denial, pretending that we're alone in the universe, will just have to get over themselves and accept that we're not. And then we can just have different conversations. Because right now, if you're having this conversation with someone who's not in acceptance that there is extraterrestrial life, they're just going to go, no, there isn't. There's, there's no official admission of that. Well, okay. Right. But once there is, then we're all just going to be in the conversation of what now? And that's yeah. going to be a much more important, fundamental, and interesting conversation to have than the conversation we're having now, which is what if. The conversation of what now is going to be way more interesting. It certainly will so, be. So when you're on Mars, what do these aliens eat? Is it plant life from there? or? Um, so the insectoids uh, essentially ate a... Uh, from, I mean, a, a high uh, glucogen content uh, substance, like a lot of insects do. They, you know, sort of a high sugar content uh, diet. The indigenous right. reptoids, uh, their primary protein source was a tail of a salamander. It's a very large salamander. This is a salamander that probably... Uh, the shoulders are, you know, eight or nine feet high, and it's probably 30 feet tail to nose. So the tails are really big. 
but it's a salamander, so you cut the tail off and it grows it back. So they can, you know, hunt salamander tail forever without depopulating the salamander population. And then Did they mix their it? tails. Oh, yeah, I've eaten salamander stew, salamander meat pie, salamander everything. <laughs> I've, I've had everything salamander tail that you can have, and it all tastes kind of the same, which is kind of like muddy, gamey, dirty water. Yeah, it's not like chicken. <laughs> Gross. Yeah. Yeah, not really. It it's it's an acquired taste and and mm. it's very nourishing food. Let me let me say that. The the food is very nourishing. So even if it doesn't taste good, by the time you finished a bowl of it, you feel like, "Oh, I've gotten nutrients and vitamins and you feel like you've gotten really nourishing food, but it's not food that you eat it and go, "Mmm, this is so good." It's more like if you just scooped up a bowl of mud puddle water and started drinking it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Well, let me take that back. Scoop up some mud puddle water, then add some grass and some lichen and some moss and stir it up and then drink it. Oh, yum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not really yum, yum, tasty. But again, very nourishing. It's very good for right. you. Like, so after sure. a meal of it, you'd feel very satisfied and like you were eating healthy food. Yeah. What if you don't like healthy food? Weird. I'm a junk food junkie. I'd die there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I just learned to live without it. I mean, we didn't have, you know, when we were living with the indigenous reptoids, which was for about a less than a six-month period, we didn't have sugar, we didn't have snacks, we didn't have potato chips. We ate their food and learned to like it. Mm. I guess a military man, that's for sure. Now, your story is so fabulous, and it would make a great movie. Has anybody approached you about that? Yeah, we're working on it. Good. I'd love to see this on the big screen. Oh, for yeah, sure. We're, we're, there, there's some conversation about that and some contract negotiation about that and some people who are interested in making that happen. That's about all I can really say about that because we haven't, haven't developed anything further than the conversation that there are people who want to make it happen. So we'll see where that mm-hmm. all goes. And Good hopefully you'll that. get to play you. I'm sorry, say again? I said, hopefully you'll get to play you. Oh, no, no, no. I don't want to play me in the movie. Absolutely not. I, I, I would have no desire to play myself in, my, in a movie about myself. I'll let someone else play me. Oh, Who would you pick? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I am not even sure who's, who's a good pick for who, who should play me in a movie. I'll, I'll leave that up to someone, a you know, casting director, to figure that out. Okay. That sounds fair. Well, we're very excited to to have this come to fruition. We really hope it does because your story is totally amazing and and you're the real deal. There's no question that you are who you say you are and you've been through all of these experiences. They're they're quite phenomenal and I know for some people it would be hard for them to understand and and you know, really get the depth of what this is all about. But that's what you're saying is that within 6 to 18 months they're going to have to get it. That ETs are real. They're they're here already. They're also going to be showing themselves in a way that's monumental, where you can't deny it anymore. So that's what we're looking. Yeah, for. anyone who's been paying yeah anyone who's been paying attention knows that the the way these stories have been floating around in the media, especially this year, um, they're getting a lot of replay in a lot of different media outlets in a lot of different uh, countries. So they're they've picked up the pace at an exponential level that they have never done before as far as wanting these stories to keep floating around and getting wind. 
what used to happen is a story would come out, one news outlet might cover it, one journal might cover it, and then you'd pretty much never hear another word about it ever again. And that's not happening this year. What's happening this year is a story comes up and a news outlet picks it up. And then later in the week, another news outlet repeats it. And then next week, another news outlet repeats it. And then another one next week and another one and another one. So that it's just getting, you know, a lot of movement, uh, a lot more movement than it ever has before. And that in itself is an indicator that we're getting closer and closer and closer. So it, mm-hmm. it's, it's happening. And we've also noticed that they've given UFOs a new name, this uh, UAP or whatever it is. This Unidentified Aerial phenomenon. phenomenon, correct, right. correct. And That's there's a reason for that. I will be happy. Well, and I will be happy to explain why. It's because words like UFO have baggage to them. So for a long time, what you said when someone said they saw a UFO is, well, you must be kooky. Kooky, only kooky people see UFOs. Well, right. in the rebranding process of no longer wanting people to think that people who see UFOs are kooky is to stop calling them UFOs. So calling them unidentified aerial phenomena, uh, referring to them as extra ETVs, extraterrestrial vehicles, if it's an actual extraterrestrial vehicle. So the rebranding of these names is because they don't have the same baggage as saying UFO. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And it also gives an ownership to the military for doing it that way. And so we can still feel safe to turn to the military to answer questions about this, right? Right. And and keep in mind that for the many, many years that it was policy to repress this information, it's not because people in the military were eager to repress the information. It was their job. It was just what they were mandated from the chain of command to repress the information. Now that we're in a different state and you have the Navy saying, you know, we want every pilot who's ever seen an unidentified aerial phenomena to re-report it. You have the airline, the commercial airlines who have changed their reporting system. The FAA is changing their reporting system. You have a lot of these agencies who used to use their reporting systems to suppress information by harassing pilots and witnesses, where that's not the case anymore. Now they're taking that reporting and putting it to some sort of genuine uh, genuine uh, data processing, you know, logbook that they can use later to say, here we have all of this, you know, recorded and it's been documented. And, yeah, they want to change the whole reporting system, which, which they're doing. So it's a, mm-hmm. it's a change in mentality and a change uh, in orders from the chain of command. So the military does what they're told to do. That's what soldiers do. We, we do what we're told. And so for the many years that – the information was being repressed. That's because that is what those soldiers and departments were being told to do. Now they're being told to do something different. So that's another sign to expect something to happen soon, sooner than later. Now you've been raising money to basically invest in this uh, healing machine that you also benefited from when you were right. Holographic cellular regenerator. Yes. Yeah. We call it a hollow bed. Well, it's um, so I have a chief engineer, I have a CFO. We're going through the process to raise the real big money that we need to raise to get the project started, which is about $25 million. And the, you know, the GoFundMe page and stuff, that's really just attempting to put more, you know, funding into the process so that we can put together a really good, um, essentially, essentially, well, 
it, when you go around to investors, what you have to do is something called a dog and pony show. And it basically mm-hmm. means you have to show up with uh, your engineers and a video and, um, you know, paperwork that you can hand out to people with nice glossy pictures and things in it. And it's not free to produce all of that. So in order to produce a, the materials that you need to go around and talk to investors, take some time, take some money, take some people to do as a full-time job for X number of months before you have a really good presentation that people with money will listen to. If I go in with a, a, a whiteboard and a pen no one's going to take me seriously, but if I go in with a packet that's got glossy pictures in it and a video and an engineer who's got modeling and stuff done, well, then people take you seriously and decide they want to invest in you. So um, that's just been a process to get to that step. And then the real money is, you know, startup is about $25 million. And what is We're the working on it. Of this? We're working on it. That's great. And what's the, tell us some more about the potential of this technology. What does it do? Oh, this technology can restore any and all cellular damage to a biological organic body. So it's something that will work on human beings, but it could also work on pets, animals. It's something that people could work on people's dogs and cats and horses and cows if we wanted it to. Um, it essentially tells the body to regenerate its own cellular tissue to a more perfect state. Uh, using something called dominant harmonic frequency resonance. And it can restore third-degree burns, broken bones, damaged organs that need to be replaced can be completely repaired, uh, severed limbs, uh, soldiers who've had their arms and legs blown off by IEDs can be grown back to fingers and toes, uh, which is obviously one of our priorities of wanting to get it done because we think it's a crime that there's this barrier between the soldiers like myself who had access to this technology and those who uh, are in wheelchairs right now who do not have access to this technology. We think that's a crime, and we think that those soldiers need their arms and their legs back. I can't disagree with you. That's the great potential. The great potential really is to completely revamp the medical industry as we know it. And instead of seeing things as being treatable by pharmaceuticals or invasive surgeries, we can simply tell the body to repair itself using this technology. Hey, we're behind this. This is great, great thing. And we really hope that you pull this one off. Now, do you have access to use that technology anymore, or is that only off-world? Um, I don't have direct access to that technology. If I was injured very, very badly, um, I personnel from the United States Marine Corps Special Section could certainly use that technology on me and put me back together if needed. So this technology is here on this planet? Yes, but not available to the civilian population or even to very many uh, military intelligence or government personnel. It's very exclusive technology that's only allowed to be used by people who have a very high security clearance. And you were saying that and that's, it can and that's a paperwork issue. Okay. Uh, well, and I mean, it's it's cellular, yeah, it's cellular regeneration of any kind, and you know that includes uh, decrepitude. Aging. So. Sure. You know, if you, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, aging, because you were talking in another interview that I was listening to about uh, some of the people on Mars. Some of the officers are a hundred years old. Oh yeah, my brigadier general's over a hundred. 
Yeah, he was actually a, he was a, a World War Two era officer when he was brought into the program, and he you know looks fifty five, but he's well over a hundred. Wow. Amazing. We need to sign up for this. <laughs> I know, right? I, I sign up right now. <laughs> oh my goodness, we could just keep talking to you all night, Captain Kramer. This is great. Now, question. People talk about, like Corey Good and other folks that we've heard, have talked about a jump room. Now, how did you get to Mars? Was it? I believe you said it was a ship, right? Well, it was, it was a transport ship that has a wormhole generator on the ship that generates a, a what we call a jump gate or a wormhole and then goes through the wormhole jump gate. So travel restrictions that, that often people talk about as far as distances being the problem and vehicles that can travel fast enough. And none of that's an issue. None of that's an issue at all. Once you have jump gate technology, you can go anywhere in the universe from any other point. You just have to have good successful targeting of how to get to the point you want to get to and not miss. But yeah, traveling from one end of this galaxy or to other galaxies can literally just take, you know, minutes Hmm. And we've had this technology then, obviously, for years. Since the 60s? Since the 60s? Yeah. I mean, it was developed in the, let me put it this way, it was developed in the 60s and has continued to be developed and perfected and engaged in broader and broader use in the covert military space program since then. But we got the technology and we're developing it and had functional prototypes in the 60s. That's just amazing that we've had it all these years. Oh, my God. Uh, well, if Bloomberg would have taken his money and put it into too. that instead of running for president, we would have been in great shape. Oh, I'm sorry, say again? I said if Bloomberg had taken his money that he used to run for president and put it into your project, it would have been, he would have made I, I know he spent. Yeah, I mean he spent like four hundred million dollars or something. Like yeah, we <laughs> yeah, could have we could have done a lot face. with that much money. I with four hundred million dollars, we could get to yeah. a finished prototype and production in no time. Exactly, mm-hmm. incredible. And what about what about Robert Bigelow? He's into all of this, and he has billions of dollars. I wonder if he could be but, a good. Well, and and. Well, he, he's doing the part that he's been assigned to do, which is to study materials uh, and to take information and study that information and to fund uh, intelligence professionals and engineers to study those materials and those programs. And when he has come up with something that he wants to be allowed to show to the general public, I'm sure he will. But I, I really can't answer to exactly what he's doing or what his plan is. I, I'm not read in on that. Mm-hmm. Well, he was pretty bold when he came out on 60 Minutes and said that ETs are here and they're right under our noses. So that was Oh, yeah, a great he said, of statement. course there are. Yeah, yeah was no, it was, it was big. Yeah, it was big. That's certainly the first time someone, you know, of of his position had been willing to come out and say, not just maybe, not just possibly, but, oh, yeah, they're real, they're here, it's happening, you know, expect more later. And how many races are here? Do you know? Oh, God. So, uh, well, when you say here, do you mean like on planet Earth, traveling back and forth to our solar system? So indigenous species to this planet or visiting species? 
How about indigenous? Um, Let's start there. Okay. So we've got we've got probably a half a dozen indigenous species to our own planet. We have an indigenous terrestrial insectoid species. We have an indigenous uh, a terrestrial reptoid species. Uh, there are several species that live in the Agartha network that are indigenous to this world that live here, that are from here. So planet Earth probably has somewhere be- between six or eight indigenous species that are not hmm. all the same mammalian genetics. That's a hmm. lot. It's, yeah, it's actually about average. It's actually about average. Most civil, most worlds that hold life have multiple intelligent species either on the surface or below the surface. It's actually pretty about average. It is. Okay. And then what about hybrids? We've had people on the show talking about hybrids and that they're also living here. Mm-hmm. Is that True. Oh, I mean, when you start talking about hybrids, the numbers just go crazy. I mean, there's there's a lot of people. Technically, technically, I'm a hybrid. You're a hybrid. Everybody you know is a hybrid because we all have DNA from a number of different species over thousands of years. So there is right. no such thing as a pure human mammalian genetic type that is pure terrestrial human without any extraterrestrial DNA in them at all. There really is no such thing. So in that sense, we're all hybrids. But if you're talking about people who have been hybridized in the last century, well, that's, that's, you know, we're into the tens of millions, hundreds of millions or something like that. It's a lot. It's it's a large number. How many know when they're meeting someone of, of another uh, group, shall we say? It takes some knowledge of identification. It takes some like being trained as a professional observer. So if we were all walking down the street and walked past, you know, three or four different extraterrestrial species, you probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference. I might be able to tell the difference depending on whether they're wearing a hat, sunglasses, or whether I could see their fingernails or, you know, knew what identifying marks to look for and I could identify them on. So as a trained observer, if I could see certain characteristics of their physical bodies, I could probably call it, but you probably wouldn't know the difference at all. Well, they could be our neighbors down the street. We wouldn't even know. Totally. (laughs) They could absolutely be your next-door neighbor, and you probably wouldn't know the difference. Holy moly. Oh, my God. But I want to know. Inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> you need to be a well. Keep in mind that it might be. Keep in mind that it might be dangerous for that person if people knew. So Absolutely. you know, it might be might be safer for for that person if. I mean, if he's just here as a contractor, you know, and he's just here to do a job, like you know, why put that guy's life in danger? No, good point. Because that is we a do good have point. A, not everybody likes to play pretty. Well, let me put it this way. It, it, we, any, anyone who you know, pays attention to what's happening in the news, we have a, a racism problem in this country and in other countries. We have some pretty awful, yes, uh, bigoted racists. When it comes to other species, those people are going to go off the hook. It, it's going to be even worse when you're talking about other species. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's good that we don't know them. That's for sure. No one needs to go it's through safer. pain and suffering. Yeah. It is. It's safer. It is yeah. indeed. 
Yeah. And, and let's just be honest. Most of them aren't here to, you know, kidnap people or do experiments or anything like that. Most of them here are observers or contractors and they're just here to do a job. Just like if you, you got hired to. What are you talking about? What is, kind of job are they doing? Uh, they might be working for the military intelligence complex, uh, helping as engineers or, you know, builders, oh. um, designers, contractors. I see. But not ours, yeah. someone else's, right? Uh, no, maybe ours. Hmm. They might they might be working for us. They might be working for a defense contracting company. They might be working for Boeing or McDonnell Douglas or Northrop or any other. Uh, they might be contracting for an intelligence agency. They might be working for the FBI. They might be working for the CIA or the NSA. They could, who knows, they could be working for anybody. Hmm. Oh. Now you put a new spin on life. I'm going to start looking at people a little more closely. (laughs) Yeah, but those organizations—they know who they're who they've hired. Then, right? They know that these Um, people are. Most most of the time they do, but not all the time. Oh. (laughs) If you wanted to get even murkier, sometimes they know, sometimes they don't know. Oh, nothing like a surprise. (laughs) Yeah. Gosh. Now, are these people here? Off when they come here, are the do they have families? I mean, do they marry uh, Earth people and then have children? It happens. It, it definitely happens. I I'm, no, I can't I'm speak to the uh, actual protocols that anybody at a contracting job might be under. So some of them might be here under a protocol that forbids them from fraternizing and marrying and having children. Others might not be restricted by that, and they might, you know, find someone that they like and be attracted to and want to have children, and it might be completely allowed under their protocol. So it really depends on the protocols that they're operating under. And not everybody (laughs) obeys their protocol. So someone might be forbidden from, you know, marrying, and they still might get married and have kids, and then they have to deal with that. So, you know, it happens. Oh, boy. A little hanky-panky will get them in trouble. (laughs) Yes. Oh my goodness! Oh, this is great. This has been this is so wonderful. Absolutely fascinating. With you. Yes. So I just oh want to say, goodness. chemistry is chemistry. Like when you're talking about people who are attracted to each other and and are in relationships, chemistry is chemistry, and it's it's totally across interspecies boundaries. It makes sense. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, and I you know, live in Sedona now. I do. What what do you do now, may I ask, besides write? Um, so, well, I mean, I, I have my, my public relations job, uh, part of my job. I have other, you know, we're working on the research and development part of my job. I have a criminal investigation part of my job. So it really depends on what's happening on a given day and how I'm able to fill up my time with all of the things that I have to do and try not to fall behind on them. So I'm I'm busy. I'm very busy. Yeah. Like a game of musical hats. It's a lot of juggling some days. Some days yeah. it's a lot of juggling, yeah. Mm. Well, are, you, are you in Sedona most of the time, or do you travel quite a bit? Um, I, I've traveled in a, num- a bunch of times last year. I expect I'll travel a bunch of times this year. So, you know, uh, but I live here, and I love it here. So I'll travel whenever necessary, and the rest of the time I'm here. Fabulous. Uh, Fabulous. I know off off the air before we came on earlier today, you and I were talking about 
other things like missing 411 situations, and you had some incredible insights about that. And I would love mm-hmm. to have you back on the show to talk about some of these other things because you are incredibly knowledgeable. You have great insights to a lot of these mysteries. And we'd love to have you back. Will you come back and talk to us about those things? Oh, sure, anytime. Just give me a call. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. Let me me reiterate that. As as long as it fits in my schedule, we can schedule something, and I'd be happy to. So, yes, anytime. Okay. That sounds good. It's amazing what you've you've lived through. You're you're clearly uh, light years ahead of many people with your intelligence, with your ability to present all of this information and have it make sense. You do a great job. And they picked the right person. Fabulous. They really did. Thank you. Every time someone says that to me, I have to say to my brigadier, say, good job, you picked the right guy. And he says, I know. <laughs> so. <laughs> yes, that's right. Great job. Great job. It's just great. wonderful. We could sit at your feet forever here, Captain Kramer. This has been wonderful. And we wish you the best with your book and also Absolutely. this upcoming movie, How, whomever chooses to uh, take it forward because it would be great. And I would think... It would be a wonderful aspect of your PR campaign to have this hit the big screen or even a television series. We're looking at a number of possible media options. I I won't say more than that because we're looking at a number of possible media options that could include one or more or all of those things plus other options. So we're great. we're looking at it. Great. I've got some great people who want to be supportive and, and want to help reach farther and I'm perfectly happy to let them help me reach farther. So expect expect to hear a lot more. Okay. We'll all be winners. That happens for you. Yes. Keep it close. Good fortune. It's wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Captain Kramer. And next week we will be back with another show. We are going to be talking about a very unusual alien abduction case. Marianne Shenfield colors in the dark. Don't miss it. We'll be back next week, and until then, we will see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Thank you very much. Good night, everybody. Thank Good night. you so much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.